What's up, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of Beers and. Today, we're going to be talking about Beers and Campari. Campari. Hey, a little Campari. Ooh, hey, right? Bada bing, bada boom. Bada bing, bada boom. Bada bing, bada boom to you, too. To you, too. What's going on? Welcome back in. Nick and Alex here, as always. Hello. We are having a lovely cocktail today because we've hit number... It, number 50. Halfway to 100. Half a century old. We're older in episodes than we are in years. Thank God. Thank God. I'm glad we made Amen. It, glad we made it to 50 episodes because 50 years still seems a way away. Yeah, it's probably going to happen I'm in the blink of an eye. Not hedging my bets. Uh, <laughs> That's dark. You're good way healthy. To start the, you're fine. Good way to start the show. You're fine. So we're having a cocktail today. It's a Campari cocktail. Mm-hmm. Um, we won't tell you what's in it just yet. It's got some wine. That's all you need to know. Exactly. And that's two thirds of the ingredients. It's so very much. Yeah. You get the guesses, please. On what? The Go ahead. Are. We'll wait. We're also having a beer as always, and we're having a Nick pick today. Yes, we are. This is a new brewery for us. This is uh, Hoof Hearted. Hoof Hearted. Ta-da! I picked this beer up strictly based on the can art, as I'm sure anybody can tell, but the name really seals the deal. Today we are drinking That's What Happens When You Put Ketchup on a Hot Dog. Uh, I don't know what it means, but I'm happy that it's there. And just for reference, it's a naked skier with, I can only assume, ketchup on him. Exactly. On the front of the can. Exactly. So that's fun. Uh, why are his like skis all woobly? Are they woobly? I don't know. I think he's mid. He's mid uh, mogul, if anything. He's mid ketchup. He's mid ketchup. That's for sure. So this is a uh, a ghost style ale. Mm-hmm. Yep, brewed with raspberry, passion fruit, lime, coriander, and Pinot Noir salt. I'm excited for this one. Yeah. Especially because I believe that the last ghost we had was quite a while ago. Uh, it was another one of my picks also. And I think it also had coriander in it. It did. It was the uh, Westerbrook. That's weird. Yeah. Wow. And if I'm not mistaken, now that I'm thinking about it, you're not a huge fan usually of ghost style owls. Um, It depends. I do usually like them when they're a little saltier. Oh, okay. So... The, I'm really excited for I've never even heard of Pinot Noir salt. Neither have I. I guess they dehydrate, you know, like boil off wine and throw salt in there. And I, that's how they... I guess so. That sounds super sacrilege, but, you know. I don't <laughs> to, like... boil, to boil off wine. Yeah. So when you do you make like uh, a beurre blanc sauce and you just throw I guess wine in there I... with, with no fire? I just, well, you know, I, I'm a big fan of I think that wine is the most important part to cooking to begin with. No matter what, you know, and that's usually for the chef. You know what? It went in way more things than I realized. Oh, yeah. You know, I'm not a very experienced cook. What? You could put, I know things. You could put wine in anything. You really can. You really can. In a shoe if you wanted to. If you wanted to, and I would not say no. I'd say, monsieur, another shoe, please. Croque, madame. Croque, madame. We're also drinking, uh, again, our cocktail every 10 episodes. Yeah. For those of you that really have just excited. joined us, I've also just realized that we haven't done this in a while. So... Alex and I are, well, Alex is a a big craft beer fan. Yeah. I just like to drink. And we got together 50 episodes ago and said, you know, what's a, what's a, what's a good idea to go for with this craft beer idea? And we're talking about it and going back and forth. And we figured again, what's the best part about having a beer, but sharing it with the buddy. Having a conversation. Having a conversation about what, who cares? Right. Because it really, once the liquor flows, anything goes. Exactly. Exactly. And that's how we like to keep it here on Beer's End. 
100%. So if you want to go ahead and join on in as well, make sure you hit us up on Instagram at Beers and Podcast. It's the same over on Instagram as well. And YouTube. And YouTube. Uh, On Twitter, we're at Beers and One. And uh, go ahead, send us your, your comments, your questions, your suggestions over at Beers and Podcast at Gmail. Dot com. This smells amazing. I'm excited for this way. one. It smells like something else we've had. Ghost style usually has such a distinct, usually like a um, flavor complex or, or you know um, flavor profile. So I'm wondering if it's it's that. And coriander is not a an easily masked um, flavor. So no. I'm thinking of maybe it's because of that. Wow, it's actually got a little bit more of a. a color and viscosity it's got way more fruit than i yeah uh, thank you originally anticipated hmm it smells pretty much just like it says raspberry oh i'm getting the passion passion fruit fruit, big time i'm getting the lime oh this is exciting i'm not surprised we don't smell the salt yeah although sometimes you can this yes i feel like sometimes you can yeah yeah i think so definitely cheers uh we didn't do question of the day oh okay cheers anyway let's take a sip thanks for listening Ooh, that is wonderfully tart. Wow. I love that. But the coriander cuts it. Yeah, inter- really, I, I just really got it. well. It wow, really rushes over at the end. And that that's, Pinot Noir salt is in there too, which is very strange. I think that's what we're getting at the end. It's got that that cuz again, Pinot Noir, you know, being a fruitier it's got a very whiny tannin Yeah, a fruitier kind of. red wine. Whoa. Ooh. That is, wow. That's really interesting. I'm enjoying that. I so can't far. tell if I'm getting the passion fruit or if it's masked by something. I don't know. I think I. I think I am. I drink quite a bit of passion fruit, passion fruit flavored things. Oh, okay. So I'm fairly familiar with the uh, with the flavor of it. Man, this is surprising. It's a very refined beer. Yeah. Which, again, the name and the can art would not allude to such sophistication and elegance. That's why you never judge a book. Never judge a book. Except sometimes you got to judge a book. No? Yeah. Sorry, I'm processing this beer. (laughs) The coriander comes in like swoops in after you drink your raspberry passion fruit juice. Yeah. And then immediately, immediately afterwards, it's Pinot Noir salt. Exactly, immediately into the Pinot. So it really it cuts the, the the tartness immediately and then moves into that nice kind of um, smoky, sort of like robust, stone fruity flavor. I like it. Of, yeah, of the, 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 uh, the Pinot Noir. Okay, question of the day. If you were going to move somewhere else, mm. where would it be? Oh, God. I'd probably go where I already had, like own, I, so I wouldn't have to pay anything. I, I would. I, I would move to Italy. Okay. I hundred percent would. Wow. Yeah. Pick up and go. I, I really, really would. It's it becomes more and more tempting with each day that goes by. To be perfectly teaching is a with translatable you. skill. Yeah. Oh, I oh. and you can speak Italian. Yeah. Oh, and fuck the teaching part. I feel like I would just, I would just go there and do this. I, the the cost of living just anywhere other than the U.S. is so much lesser, and that's always going to be my my yeah. deciding factor. Um, wow, although the Canary Islands are beautiful, also, and it's warm year that round. That sounds fun, and it's warm year round too. So is L.A. Ah, uh, fuck L.A. First of all, I, West Coast. I, yeah, I am not made for the West Coast. 
Uh, no, I don't think I am. Either. No, 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 no. I'm not a big city person. I like a good city. I would never choose to move to a big city unless it was like D.C. Really? D.C. Of is all... so clean. Really? Yeah, well, the places I've been, yeah. Oh, okay. I must have been in trashier parts of town than you so. are, I guess. I wouldn't be surprised if that's the case. Yeah. <laughs> no, not a fan of... I mean, I like D.C., I but like... Why? So where are you picking up and going to? Probably, um, probably Denver. Really? When we went to Denver, yeah. I had a lovely time, and uh, the food's amazing. There, it's a tremendous craft beer scene out there, mm-hmm. and um, yeah, just the fact I don't know. Do you remember that they said they get like three hundred days of sun a year? It's so funny you say that because the second that you mentioned it, I was like, I remember it's what generally we had nice been told Denver. about. Yeah, about the sunshine all the time. I mean, I'm sure it gets cold. Yeah, but it gets cold. I do like. A change of me too the weather weather at least a little bit yeah i do like that if i could i would if i had to stay in the states i do like new england just a little bit further north than than That's where we are too. yeah yeah I, boston's really nice as well boston's nice i did like providence when i was in providence a couple times okay, yeah i've been there yeah, yeah yeah but i have to stay by water i can't move don't don't move me to like kansas or Nebraska. Yeah, you're not a landlocked person. No, not at all. I would be okay. No, I, I would feel caged. I would I would not get on with the people, partially because of my resistance to assimilate. Um, yeah. Yeah. Every time I drink this, I get socked in the in the salivary gland. Every time it's like sour, sour. But then it's it, salt. But, but then you're you're immediately hit with an ice pack then to take off some of that swelling and some of that um some of the bruising. It I'm, is really delicious. It is a fascinating beer. It is really delicious. I'm I'm Is it too soon to throw Wow. I'm going to be really high on it. Yeah, so am I. I mean off the bat I'm going to go like a 465, 47. Like this is a phenomenal. That's what I was thinking. Yeah. 46. Yeah. This is a really, really, really nice beer. I can't get over the coriander into the Pinot Noir salt. Because so it's smoothly. such a weird transition, but it's not because it is smooth. Right. And I think what's interesting is that the salt part of it, it's not, how can I say it? Like textbook salt. It doesn't actually have that like right. saltiness to it a at all. A little bit. Very slightly, but which is indic- like a, indicative uh, of like a ghost to begin with. Definitely. It's yeah. more like a wine overtone. Kind of right. It's not terribly high in ABV. It's about it's a I believe a seven percent. Oh yeah, seven flat. That's pretty good. I like the fact that it's also it is meant to be. Now look at that drink. Quite cold comparatively Colder. speaking. Yeah, yeah. forty six degrees, Almost. which I would say that this is roughly probably pretty close. Yeah, close too. Yeah, I'm I think not... I noticed about halfway through that I got uh, a more rounded flavor. Yeah, right. So we we must have hit it. Yeah, I think we're perfect. We're spot on. Wow. We're also having along with this our oh, should I let me should I finish the beer first before I take a sip I of the cocktail? No, I think it's, I actually wanted to try them together. So this uh, this little cocktail, I believe that we have entitled this the. Uh, are, interestingly enough, I think you had suggested West Coast Sunset. West Coast Sunset. Yep, meaning that uh, one day I hope the sun sets on the West Coast and does not rise again. It'll probably be gone in a couple of years. That's true. Fault That's li- true. You know, faulty fault lines. Faulty fault lines. Uh, this is... This looks a, like a West Coast sunset. It I does. Think. It is a fresh, fresh, uh, fresh squeezed, squeezed orange juice, and we did fresh squeeze it. Very fancy. Very fra- fancy. Uh, some Campari, and it is uh, finished with a 
Late harvest sweet white wine a like that of a Riesling. Riesling. It's actually a lot of bit of Riesling. Oh, oh uh, fantastic. I, I made the full pitcher, so... Uh, I saw. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah full 10 servings. That's fantastic. Wow. That might be one of my new favorite things. Wow. That is super simple and really, yeah. really nice. Really flavorful. Lots of, like, fresh orange juice. Fresh orange. No, and, like, it's not... It's weird, because I, I think I've had Campari by itself one time. Yeah. And I did not like it. It's a it's a rough liqueur to like. Yeah. It's a very... I like Campari. Very popular. Yeah. I like Campari, but that's because, you know, again, I'm a lush. Um, I haven't tried it in, um, man, six or seven or eight years, maybe. My cousin and I drink Negronis all the time. I've always wanted one. Oh, my God. With, with gin? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Oh, yes. And and usually it's at the point now where if Negronis are going to be involved, uh, people around us are usually very excited uh, and then not because they know that that means, okay, Nick and Ryan are going to go ahead and that bad tie off. one on. Oh, yeah. Because it's one of those where it's like, you want to have a Negroni? It's usually like, sure, we're going to have at least two and a half to three before we go out. Um, oh and then we'll, we'll wind up getting into it. It's one of those where it's like, should we, uh, what time are the dinner reservations? They're at seven. Well, it's six 30. Should we, how far is it? It's only about 10 minutes. Well, we've got time for another one. Let's have another one real quick. We'll have another one. This is really nice though. So interestingly enough, hmm. nice segue into my, my little segment about what, like, what is Campari? Mm -hmm. You know, it's, it's, it's kind of its own thing. It's, um, considered an aperitif. Right. So there's aperitifs and there's digestifs. So this one's considered an aperitif. So it's an alcoholic beverage typically served before you go out to a meal. Right. It's supposed to stimulate the appetite. They are almost exclusively bitter as to not be sweet to ruin the palate. They want to open the palate. Oh, that's what the reason is? That's why they're, yeah, that's oh. why it's technically, hmm. typically dry and bitter. Oh, I didn't know that. Yep. It's supposed to stimulate your palate for your meal. Um, on the other hand, a digestive, as the name would suggest, is supposed to be served after the meal. Right. And it's supposed to aid in digestion. Although, shockingly enough, there's no proof to that. For none of them? I have not found any proof. Really? Yes. I'm still going to stick with that lie. I'm going to hold on to that I mean, we're still going to do it because we've been doing it forever. Exactly. I like. I love when my dessert menu usually comes with a separate section of oh, yeah. digest, uh, digestives. You're, that's how you know you're at a fancy place, too. 100 I was, that's a, I was just going to say. That's how you know you're at a fancy place. So common aperitif choices. They actually, I didn't realize champagne was one of them. Oh. But champagne is considered, and that makes sense because... Like a dry brute. Yeah. Exactly. Mm -hmm. uh, vermouth. Ooh. Gin, interestingly enough. Oh, a good dry gin. And also uh, two things called a pastis or ozzo, which oh. are anise-flavored spirits from France and Greece, respectively. I thought that ozzo was a, a, a digestif. That's interesting. It is, yep, an aperitif. Um, huh. I confused them, not those two, but a little bit as well. And then also a fino or an amontillado, oh. which are two types of sherry wines. One which is light in color and one medium in color. But the, uh, I forget what it's called. Like the darkest body of sherry is more creamy and not an aperitif for some reason. That's what I've, I, I was going to say, because I've always heard that sherry or I've always associated sherry with almost being like a port where it's like smaller glass, end of the right. evening you right. know, type of drink. But I guess it 
clearly depends on what kind of sherry you're going for. Yes. Hmm. So these may be served with hors d'oeuvres or an amuse-bouche. Ooh. If you're familiar. That reminds me of like from the last episode when we were talking about the fez, which is the real name is, you know, the, the tabouche. Yes. So they just serve you a, a bunch of, A bunch you know, of little tiny fez. Fezes. I like that. Correct. Oh my God. Could you imagine? What a racket. We could just serve the food. Could you imagine a Mediterranean the spread and they're all has. fed or they're all served in fezes? Ooh, that's a good idea. Yeah. Can you pass the fez a hummus, please? Absolutely. There you are. Yeah. <laughs> The fez is made with felt. We've I gone feel too like, far. Yeah, I was gonna say. Now I'm picturing having to like pick lint off the, you know. Ugh. Yeah, we don't want that. No, 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 no. We, we want, want a fuzzy, we want a clean, hummus. clean hummus. Yes, clean, clean, fuzz-free hummus. Have you ever had an amuse bouche? I don't know. I want to say yes. It's so it's like a complimentary. Oh. Um, hors d'oeuvre. Oh, uh, it's, it's usually one bite. Yes. And it's very fancy, or or a palate cleanser. Yes. Like a like a sorbet or something like that. Yeah, in fact, actually, like if I'm not mistaken, uh, most of the time when you go out for aperitifs, at least, I believe in most like Mediterranean countries, you don't order. You don't order that necessarily. It just comes with Correct. the drink. Correct. I'll never forget the first time someone had like come over to the table and they put a couple things like down, and I was like, "Oh no, 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 no! That's not us. That's not us." And like, the fuck does it matter with you? Like, no, 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 no. no. Go ahead and, and have that with your goblet of uh, of Aperol spritz, so, like please. Uh, that's actually one thing I really want to try. Oh, really? I want to try Aperol. Spr- oh, an Aperol spritz specifically. Perfect. I'll, I'll, I could. We have that almost all of the right ingredients. Love that. Let's make that happen. So before I finish up, aperitifs have a really interesting history. So, pretendedly, they've been around since the fifth century. Oh wow! Which is way longer than I thought. Yeah. Um, and it's apparent in this quote. From a fifth-century Christian ascetic, Diadokos of Fotiki. Ooh, Diad- I love when you quote Diadokos to me on yeah, a Sunday you know, afternoon. You know how whisper sweet nothing is <laughs> interior. <clears throat> and I quote: "People who wish to discipline the sexual organs should avoid drinking those artificial concoctions, which are called aperitifs, presumably because they open a way to the stomach for the vast meal which is to follow." Oh, so I guess kind of like a don't don't be a glutton, and you won't. It's you a, won't be a deviant? Well, no, well it's, what it sounds like more than anything else is like, you ain't fucking on a full stomach. So like, don't go ahead and have an aperitif. You're going to eat too much. You're both going to get tired and no one's going to, no one's going to. No, it's the other way. I thought it said to avoid it. The aperitif. Avoid the aperitif. Yeah, because doesn't the aperitif then like make you, it stimulates. No, because he was an ascetic. He was like, uh, yeah, okay. abstinence and, oh. you know, self, whatever you want to call it. Uh, oh, so he was. You can't oh. don't indulge yourself. Okay. Yes. Okay. Wow. All right. I took that the wrong way. Yeah, it's okay. That, hey. So the opposite. So basically, here. Okay. So he's saying, okay, the opposite, more meaning like don't have booze before you eat because. Because it'll make you have sex. Because it'll make you have sex. Well. And be a good Christian. And be, yeah. Okay. So in 1796, a Turin, Turin distiller invented modern vermouth. By the 19th century, aperitifs were widespread in Italy. It makes no sense to me. It's so funny. Um, these fragrant herbal spirits were being sold in pretty much every bar. Mm-hmm. But where they really started out was in fashionable cafes in all of the hotspots in Italy. Uh, Turin, Milan, Rome, Genoa, Venice, and Florence. 
Oh, okay. So yeah, everywhere so up almost, in the north. It took the country by storm. Yeah, pretty Rome much. North. Yeah. This and this almost feels to me like a conspiracy. I don't know why. Why? Because it just happened so quickly, and it was like all the big cities. Yes, but don't forget what year was it? Uh, this was in the 19th century, so sometime between 1800 and. So for the first half, at least, don't forget, Italy didn't unify until the 1860s. So they were all still at least like individual really? kingdoms. Oh yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh. Yeah, yeah. Interesting. Then I wonder if my later story is what unified them. Ooh, maybe. Oh, I'm a little curious. It's kind of tongue in cheek, but. Oh, okay. Only because 1860 comes up as a prominent thing. Oh, okay. Huh. Now I'm curious too. All right. Well, you gotta wait. You're gonna have to just stick around then. Um, what shall I start with here? Whatever your heart desires, hon. You know what? I think. I... <laughs> Thanks, babe. Uh, see, avoid these aperitifs. Beer's end is gonna get real, real weird in a little bit. Real. <laughs> so you know what? I guess I'll start first with. Um, this beer's crazy. Let's start. I the beer is phenomenal. Before I get into my into my piece, I know that we've discussed a that we've had certain beers, uh, I think more recently than not, which are maybe we've described as this being the craft beer to introduce to your non-craft beer drinking friend. This is a beer I think that would have widespread acclaim. I feel like anyone you give this beer to is going to love it. You're absolutely right. I feel like if you have someone that is extraordinarily into craft beers, is really impressed by a well-balanced, complex flavor palette, they will appreciate this, but you could also give this to, again, your friend who might just be like, you know, drinking White Claws on a regular basis and say like, here, drink this. You'll like it. You'll like, yeah. It's, it was almost like a fruited sour kind of. It really was. It really was. Hmm. Really good. So um, I will, I'll start with the shorty. Okay. Um, the Americano. So it is a drink um, that is made with Campari. Mm-hmm. And it was... Oh, I didn't realize this. It was first served in the 1860s. Interesting. Right? At the bar where Campari had first originated. So like at Campari's uh, cafe. Uh, And it's made with uh, Campari, sweet vermouth, club soda, and then it's garnished with a lime slice. And the name came from um, just that, like a majority of Americans or like certain Americans that were coming um, you know, to Northern Italy during that time, they were on like the, so the grand tour. Oh yeah. yeah. They weren't familiar with Campari at all. So like this was how it was introduced to Americans kind of cut some of the bitterness and made it more like palatable. So a little bit of a callback in here, if anything, this, the Americano was actually the first drink that was ordered by James Bond in the Ian Fleming novels. Oh. So if you go back and check out uh, Beers and uh, Vodka, we wound up doing the the Vodka Martini. I believe hey. that was, wow, at this point, it might have been about 20 episodes ago, 30 episodes. 20 or 30 episodes ago. Wow. It was actually, again, the first drink that was ordered by James Bond um, in From Russia with Love, which is my favorite Bond movie oh, of all time. Oh, interesting. Oh, my God. It's so good. It's so good. So it wasn't a Vodka Martini. Not the first drink, if anything, no. Wow. Not the first one. Um, so in uh, From Russia With Love, uh, again, he drinks two on his like flight from Rome to Istanbul. And then in the, it was a short story, but then it was expanded to be one of the Bond films, uh, which was uh, from, a view, um, from a View to a Kill. 
Bond chooses the Medicano to drink at a mere cafe, like a regular cafe, uh, stating that, quote, in cafes, you have to order the least offensive of the musical comedy drinks that go with them. So basically, like, this is the easiest one to go ahead and get. Um, And in it, he stipulates that he always wants the Americano to be made with Perrier um, because, according to him, expensive soda, uh, expensive soda water is the cheapest way to improve on a poor drink. Hey, okay. Right? So a little tongue-in-cheek there. I like that. A little cheeky for James Bond. But I had no idea, and I am such a big fan usually of anything having to do with Bond, but I had no idea that it was the Americano. And you went you know, first. I did, during my research, I did gloss over something that said that he had Campari Oh, really? Somewhere. Yeah, I had... I glossed over it. No idea. In my defense, I've also never read the books. So... Okay. Maybe I'll have to get into those. That's fine. I guess. You're a reader. I'm surprised. I, I, well, I only really read between like April and October. Okay. Um, yeah. I didn't realize it was such a seasonal hobby. I can't read it. I can't, like if you were to ever come over, I would almost never <clears throat> be on the couch reading a book. I take it out and I've got to go down to the water. I've got to sit outside. Okay. And read it. Yep. Fair enough. Oh, yeah. Let's get down to the nitty gritty. Let's get down to business. Yes. To drink. Let us. Come party. Let us pray. Please. Just joking. <laughs> um, so Campari. That's what I wanted to know about because it's such it's such a different spirit. Right. What is the proof on it? Do you know? It's quite high. It's high, isn't it? Yes. How high? This, I want to say that it's in the four. Oh, it's, uh, it is 35%. Oh, no, that's not what it says. Uh, it is 24% alcohol by volume. Okay. So that's actually not as high as I thought, but it's still, it's still pretty high. Correct. Sorry. If you drink a whole beer that was 24%, you'd be in a bad way. Absolutely. Yeah. Whew. And it's made It's made in Milan. Oh, I didn't realize it was actually made in Milan. It is made in Milan. Oh. Do you know the name of the gentleman who created it? I do know his name is Gaspare, I believe. Gaspare Campari. Yeah. You're absolutely right. So, purportedly, Campari contains anywhere between 10 and 70 ingredients. Oh, wow. Those of which are, because it's a total secret, this recipe. Oh. It's been held very close to the chest of the Campari family since its inception. And only like a couple of people. So, the two, his two sons, who are the owners. Yeah. And maybe like the factory manager know the recipe. And that's it. Oh. So, it's every everything in it is either an herb, a flower, or a root. Oh, okay. So, it's all botanicals. Um, I found an interesting recipe on Simply Recipes. It's under 20 ingredients, so I'm just going to like rid them off real quick. But like they're crazy. So there's bittering ingredients because it, it's a very bitter drink. Yes. We, we went over that. Genshin. I don't know if you've ever heard of that. It's the main source of bitterness in this, this recipe anyway. Um, it's a flower used for some medicines actually that aid in like digestive or like the upset stomach area. Yes. It could be for a lot of things. And apparently it brings a radiating, tangy bitterness, oh. which I don't know how I feel about. I mean, I feel like that's a really like a nice way of saying it makes you feel tingly and maybe and, not and always it, a good tingly. I guess so. Yeah. So there's also wild cherry bark, an, another bittering agent with some fruit notes, uh, angelica root, 
which introduces a bold grapefruit and pepper tone. Okay, that I get. And uh, ginseng, which brings in a clean, earthy tone. Huh. Those are just the bittering agents. Mm. Then there's botanicals. So they have in in this recipe, lemon peel, orange peel, and rhubarb root, oh. all dried. They have to be dried. It's very specific. I'm not sure why. Yeah. And interestingly enough, originally Campari got its red color. Do you know from what? I, I want to say yes, but I'm not, I don't remember entirely. Okay, so up until 2006, the red in Campari was made from the dye of the cochineal insect. Oh, that's a yes, from an insect. From an insect. So like a tiny little insect, they would dry it out and like crush and it crush up. crush it up. And, yeah, and then throw it in. I like that. They're, they're working with what they've got. I mean, whatever. Yeah, but in 2006, they swapped it out for artificial dye. I like how they waited till 2006, though. Well, they started to get pushback. Oh, really? Yeah. I'm not sure from who. I didn't really get into it. I can guarantee you not many Italians, because if there's one group of people who don't give a shit sometimes, it's like, mm, yeah. it's the Italians. That's true. I can attest to that. Yes. Because <laughs> I, I don't. I know. Yeah. I would be like, they're, they're bugs. So the inventor of Campari, as Nick alluded to, Gaspare, great name. He was the 10th child of a farmer. Oh, my God. Yeah. That's right. Um, Gaspare Campari had quite the life, I, I would like to think. He was born in Casanovo, Lombardy. Oh, okay. So in, in northern Italy. Yep. In 1828. Um, he, he started working at the best bar in Casanovo, mm -hmm. mixing drinks at the age of 14. Oh, wow. So a just little, just, oh. at in just at the time of World War II, actually, he was mixing drinks in 1942. No, wait a second. Didn't you say he was born 20... in 18? Nope. Oh, wait. Yeah, I did. Yeah. Did I? Yeah, yeah. I did. Okay. 1828. That makes, okay. me, that makes way more sense. All right. I was going to say, my God. 1840. So 14 years old serving drinks in a bar. All right. This is where he took a strong interest in people's drinking habits. And he decided that in his teenage years, he was going to peddle his own aperitif. Okay. Around Italy. All right. So he so this took place in the 40s. Yeah. So he couldn't have been any older than 19. Wow. Wow. Because you wonder you wonder sometimes like two things. One of which is like 14 for working. Almost I'm sure is and I'm sure that he was beforehand, but like it sounds it's old yeah. for this time period. But then you also wonder like do you think that due to the fact that like mortality rates or, or I'm sorry, that like uh, longevity rates were so much shorter that people maybe like this that were a little bit more could be. Uh, entrepreneurial. Like yeah, realizing like, if be. I don't take this shot now, like I'm going to be dead at 35. So like, you know, because of, I don't know, a strong wind, you know. Yeah, but at 14 though, wow. Yeah, that is true. Or, you know, at, let's say at, at 18, yeah, 17. Yeah, 18. God, yeah. You know, whatever. I was a piece of shit at 18. <laughs> don't laugh too hard. You were we with said me. Anything I was going to just get Okay. <laughs> Wow. Hey, wow. Not only did you throw me under the bus, you then you, you then hopped in the driver's beep, seat and then just beep, dragged beep. me along. Sir, there's something in the wheel well. Yeah, I know. I put it it's there. It's just my friend. He's fine. Quit ringing the bell. He's flexible. <laughs> so while he was pe you know, peddling his own aperitif, which still blows my mind, it was common for essentially like every bar to have a house aperitif that the local bartender would make. Oh. So it was probably just, and I didn't find this, but I can only assume, it's probably just some sort of like fortified wine with a bunch of botanicals thrown in okay. to kind of like imbibe it with its own 
flavor. Yeah. You know, each one's a little different. Um, so, but it wouldn't be until 1860. Oh, there we that go. That Campari eventually compiled the recipe for his flagship. Oh, Campari. Well, everything is, is was, all coming together Is now. that the unity of Italy? Is it just Campari? It, it, I mean, pretty much. It was, it must be. It must be. It's We're going to go with time. it. It is. It all happened at the same time. It was done by another man with a, a G name, but not, not Gaspare Garibaldi. Garibaldi. I was like, I know that. Yeah. Um, so he, he made huh. Campari. And what he, what he did afterwards was he went around from bar to bar asking them to sell his drink. Really? And they said, he, he said his one stipulation was if you sell it, you put a Campari sign in your window. Wow. And that is how he birthed this. What now? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to blow your mind if you don't already know this stuff. How huge this business has become. I, I'm only foreshadowing. Okay. For, for reference, if anything, because I think, you know, just one of the things that's jumping out to me. So you and I know what you're talking about when you say a bar. Mm-hmm. So a bar in Italy, for those folks that might not be entirely familiar, it's not the same as like a bar no. here in the States. Like we would go to the bar to have coffee, have a drink, have something to eat. That's where you would meet, right. you know, everybody Kinda in the like neighborhood. Kind of like that's a diner. Like, exactly, exactly. Little outdoor area was like usually right in the heart of your piazza, your downtown. Um, and they're all over the place i mean right. you, there, there's one there's a bar on every corner every other corner exactly. too so it was fantastic that he would do wow. that so like i said is he held his recipe very close to him no one ever knew he eventually blew up he w- he went on to open his own bar hmm. then another bar in the heart of milan this is where he started to like really branch out he started to make his own cordials his own liqueurs his own cocktails and people would come and see this Eventually, in 1904, they opened Sesto di Giovanni. Mm-hmm. It's the company's first major production site. So they, they were able to mass produce Campari. Afterwards, his, his sons would take on this business after he passed. Okay. Two sons. I uh, didn't write down their names. It's okay. It's not important. Um, <laughs> they, they devoted their lives. It's actually, it's, it's really important. I guess so. Yeah. They, they devoted their lives to building this brand and like turning it into what it is today. Yeah. So crazy enough, they would change the name to, it's publicly traded as the Campari Group. So it's just two sons, two actual like separate, um, I don't want to say like subdivisions of the company, but they, they, they were two different names, even okay. though they're publicly traded together. Oh, okay. Almost like a CBS and Viacom. Exactly. Or an Aldi and, a, a Aldi and um, Lidl. Thank you. Two brothers that just like split off. Exactly. Right. But these guys are still together. They are still together. Okay. So the, like I said, they devoted their lives. By 1960, 100 years after the drink was made originally, yeah. sales would grow particularly strong and Campari would be distributed in over 80 countries. Wow. Another 30 years and they would more than double that and be in over 190 countries. So the worldwide at this Holy point. Holy shit. The article goes on to say that in 1999, when there was a really, really big consolidation of the global drink market, yeah. So and but there weren't many like big players, right? So they had to decide whether they were going to stick with their guns and just make their flagship, or if they were going to start to acquire 
other pieces and like really be distributors. Yeah. So they did. Okay. And here are just a few of the 50 some odd brands that are under the Campari Good blank uh, umbrella, let's say. Can I can I guess at least two? Definitely. So I do feel like, and this might just be because I read, I do think that I believe Aperol is one of theirs, right? So in um, 2003, they bought Aperol. Okay. I believe it was for $143 million. That actually seems like jump change. Seems, yeah, yeah, it doesn't seem that expensive, Well, right? just considering I know that they're actually like, the same thing, like the marketing for Aperol is like crazy. So they weren't actually the second, um, like the second best bidder. They in, were not in Italy. No, there, there's another one that they bought later. How about I'm gonna just guess another group? Sure, Martini and Rossi. Uh, no, actually. Oh, unless okay. that, unless that's under an um, under that umbrella, but by a different name. I didn't see it in the okay in the Wikipedia article. But good guesses though. All right. Um, so in 1998, they acquired a minority holding in Sky Spirits LLC. So oh, Sky shit. Vodka. Yeah. And, yep. Oh, so um, wow. actually, in that deal, Sky got the rights to distribute all of Campari's brand in the United States. And Campari became a minority holder in Sky. Oh. Wow. Yeah. A lot of interesting deals happen. You'll see. I can't wait to go ahead and look this up and see if I can what stock is at right now. Right. I'm a little curious. Yeah. Me too. We'll check before we go. All right. So in 99, they bought, they actually did buy out Otso 12, which, which was that, uh, Greek. Yes. Anis spirit that I was talking about. Um, in 2003, they bought Aperol in 2007. They acquired Cabo Wabo tequila founded by, Oh my God. Sammy Hagar. Sammy Hagar. Fuck old Sammy lead Hagar. singer of Van Halen. Good friend of the show. Good friend. Yeah. Fr <laughs> friend of the pod. In 2009, they bought out wild Turkey and wild Turkey honey. Um, the distillery in Lawrenceville was included in the deal. Oh, really? In fact, in 2010, Frangelico. In 2012, Appleton State. Okay. Rum. Yeah. Right? In uh, 2014, Averna, which was Italy's second best-selling bitter. I'm sorry, that was for $143 million. Oh, okay, okay, okay. Good. Also in 2014, they bought uh, Forty Creek Distillery, which is a Canadian whiskey company, wow. including all of its facilities and stock for $185.6 million. Holy shit. Then in 2016, their biggest acquisition to date, Grand Marnier. Oh. And then the following year, Bulldog London Gin. No way. And then the year after that, their last acquisition as of yet, uh, they bought a French brand Biscuit Cognac. Oh, wow. So 50 brands under the umbrella of Campari. Holy shit. And they've really grown this company. So let's see, actually. Yeah, I'm a little curious to see what the, this is now going to become a, a, a uh, financial podcast. I'm into it. So actually, it's funny you say that because in the um, in the Wikipedia article, and I happen to have it right here. God, this is, this goes it's down so good. very nice. Yeah, it's so good. Um, they do actually talk about the IPO. So... No. Um, it was publicly traded in 2001, July of 2001. And it says that the shares were priced at a at the lower end of the indicative price range of 30 to 38. Okay. So it started trading at 30 to 38. It's not bad. Not Correct. bad at all. Yeah, we're going to yeah, I was going to say let's see what they what they're coming up at now. Oh, they're I feel like that's too low. No, that can't be right. No, that's not right. What? That can't be correct. Is that right? I mean, maybe is all right. So maybe alcohol stocks aren't that high. Let's maybe, yeah, maybe that's not correct. Let's let's try something else. 
Because there are two different groups, I believe, that they are. That's them. It is. Yeah, that was them. Let's, huh. just, let's just check Anheuser-Busch stock. That makes sense. That's way higher. Yeah, I can't imagine. Unless unless Campari maybe split over time. That's very possible. Yeah, they could have. I, like like I feel like they definitely did. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. With all that consolidating. Absolutely. And, and uh, acquisiting. 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 That's right. <laughs> I think so. So have you ever heard of Campari Soda? Not Campari yes. and Soda, but Campari Soda. Yes. Oh, you have? Only because of my research. Beautiful. So are you familiar with what it is exactly? No. Okay. Here we are, folks. Look at us. Let me tell you, these episodes really start to go ahead and just whew, fly by after a while. Good so, stuff. Uh, Campari Soda, it is a pre-mixed drink made of Campari and then Club Soda. It's... Seems like it's only sold exclusively in Italy. Cocktail in a can. Exactly. And it is um, at a relative, like, you know, decent ABV. It's still sold at 10%. Mm. All right. It's 10% alcohol. What it's really known for, however, is its distinct bottle design, um, which was done by a guy by the name of Fortunato uh, Depero I'm gonna in look it up. 1932. Yeah, I was going to say, I was going to... Yeah, see, so that that's oh, sort of weird. Yeah. And I'll have a, a well, if you're watching on YouTube, you can see the photo. Maybe I'll point. Maybe it's over here. We'll say it's over here. Somewhere here. It's somewhere here. Somewhere in this middle void where Hector should be. He's still in traction. Um, <laughs> he's okay. You can see though, I have started to rebuild him. <laughs> he's got he's, We have the technology. We have the technology. Um so it's actually yeah. This is actually a phony Negroni. Oh, so it's not it's not that one here. I'll show you. I've got a photo up on my end. Whoop, as my microphone gets taken out of the way. That's good for fidelity, isn't it? Is it bitter red? It's this guy. See that guy? Okay. Yeah, okay. so it's a really distinct... What am I doing, Nick? It almost looks like a short... Like a shorty. Exactly. So it's... Uh, again, it's a really distinct design and made by this, again, uh, this guy, uh, Depardon. So he was and I, so i was a little curious about him anytime someone's name is hyperlinked at least on on wikipedia i always get at least a little me too curious um so he was a futurist painter sculptor and like graphic designer and he was like really big into the futurist art movement i think i did a little bit of this yeah I did a little bit of the reading only because i remember he was a futurist which is an awesome awesome you know yep. uh like field uh or or i guess like genre if you will of uh art theme exact yeah so uh i, I, I dove in just a little bit on him so in 1915 along with another futurist by the name of giacomo balla they had wrote something that's called uh ricostruzione futurista del universo which means futuristic like futuristic reconstruction of the universe. Exactly. Future reconstruction of the universe. 100%. So the goal yeah. of this, there you go. High school Italian. Woo! The goal of this was allegedly to make the universe, quote unquote, more joyful through oh. integral recreation. Like so he also became like really kind of like famous because of the fact is that he, I shouldn't say really famous, but he started to make like inroads, um, because he released what became known as the bolted book and it was like a completely new way of like marketing his like uh his work for a period of time 
which most artists didn't show off their their portfolios this way. So it was like for a really specific time frame, it was like 1916 to 1927. And yeah, but it was known because of the fact that the book binding were two bolts instead well, like of quite literally, quite bolted. literally two bolts. Okay. Um, so in the, in 1928, he actually wound up coming to the U S and he had like mixed success more than anything, you know, uh, though he gained some notoriety, he wound up doing covers for like the New Yorker Vogue. Um, he did designs for Macy's. He oh. wound up doing like the interior design of two restaurants that were then like later demolished to make room for Rockefeller Center. Um, and he had built a house that apparently still, I believe, is around on like 23rd Street. Oh, in Manhattan? In Manhattan. Yeah. Like he had a, he, I finally found that I haven't been able to read through it all the way. I was telling you last night again that roughly around the 1030 mark, my eyes started to blur and I couldn't read anymore. Yeah. Um, but someone did a really, really robust, let me see if I can get their name so I don't sound like a, a total schmuck. Um, oh, I believe it actually was from Italian, Italian Modern Art. Uh, org, and I'll find the name of the the actual did like, a little thing about author him? about uh, the author. house just about like his love for New York. He was oh, fascinated oh. by New uh, New York City, but he wound up going back to Italy in 1930, and that's because of the fact is that like the government at the time, the Italian government, really didn't like wouldn't sponsor him had uh, him at all because futuristic art became like really closely entwined with fascism and like so like when he was but but don't forget 1930 still early on yeah so what wound up weird though oh yeah but he so what wound up happening was that like as fascism went on they had started to use art as a form of like propaganda to get to you know folks outside of italy but at the time that he was there, like in New York, they didn't. So like they didn't give a shit that he was there at all. Oh. They were like, no, everybody in America likes us. Like it's fine. Like we're well liked. Oh. Mussolini's well liked. So we're not giving you money for Mussolini's anything. Mussolini's well liked. They did, you know, Il Duce. Uh, you know, my grandfather, I remember, had had very kind things to say. Oh yeah? Uh yeah, you know. Well Yeah. That's all right. That's it's cool. He made the trains run on time or whatever. Okay. Cool. You know, that was like a thing. That's great. There was also, and then, you know, he went to Italy and then he died. Um, although he has an art uh, museum that's like a permanent collection in uh, Turin, I believe. Oh. But if anything, real quick, there was also a song called Campari Soda. It was a, by a Swiss band named Taxi. It was initially released in 1977. It was written by uh, someone, I guess, you know, part of the band uh, named Dominique uh, Grandjean, uh, who's now a psychiatrist. Um, oh, if that says anything about this song. Which I said, interesting reverse, of course. Um, the song was unsuccessful when it was first released, but then gained popularity again when it was used in an advertisement for Swiss International Airlines in 2006. Oh, yeah. And wound up peaking at number three and then spent 35 weeks on the Swiss single charts. So I, I already brought it up in a tab so I can watch oh, it. Oh, the when, art. So I can watch it when I get home. Oh, please do. Absolutely. I can't wait. Uh, yeah. If anything, maybe I'll, I'll, I'll play a little uh, at one point over as well. So if you want to, I think you could throw it on if you want, but it's a bizarre song. I am not going to. Okay. I'm going to listen to it on my way home. It I was, think. it was an odd song, but as I was listening I to it, it, I was like, 
oh, I could totally see this being like, bing, welcome aboard Swiss International Airlines. They're going to get you to your, I don't know why, I made them German. They're German now. They're German now. It's written in Swiss German, so. Oh, is it actually? Yes, it is. Oh, fantastic. Yeah, Swiss German, though. Speaking of fantastic. Yeah, right? Suckers. These are very good. Suckers go down easy. I suggest anyone who hasn't tried Campari and orange juice just go. And the Riesling. Yeah, I feel like you could probably just do Campari and orange juice, but I don't know. Three and three quarter cups, and in this case, it was three and one quarter cups of Riesling. Uh, One cup of Campari and two and a half cups of orange juice. It's got to be fresh squeezed. I like the t- just jingle jangle. Yeah, I like around, the. Right? I'm a big fan of the ice. Really? Uh, man. Ser- serving a tall glass with ice. I feel like this should be my wedding drink. Dude, it's a good drink. It's unique. It's unique. It's so good. It is. I would feel so bad for all those attendants to have to like fresh squeeze all that orange juice. No, I th- I've got the Breville, baby. You just throw that shit You're just right going to bring it? Bring it to the wedding. Don't you tempt me. <laughs> Don't you tempt me. I'll bring a vat if I I will if I drink have to. these all. They're delicious. All night. They're like, super sweet, though. So at the same time, um, you know, the second I saw that it called for Riesling, I was like, oh my God. Like, I get on my mother's keys for drinking shit wine all the time. And like, usually she's like, ooh, I like a good sweet Riesling. I'm like, Mom, will you drink like a real wine, please? I don't know if I've ever actually had. A Riesling. It's a dessert wine. It is. Yeah, it's a sweet wine. Okay. Yeah. yeah, Then then maybe I have. Actually, thoroughly enjoy dessert wine. A dessert wine. A good dessert wine. It is right here, dessert wine. You got anything else for I do not, sir. Then then shall I... I Campari grouped myself to death. death. Actually. I was telling Nick before we got on, I spent an inordinate amount of time reading about the Campari group. Oh, there was a lot. Yeah. There was a lot. So we heard, though, about Gaspare. Gaspare. Have you... Did you read up on Giuseppe? I have not. Is that his brother? It's not. No <sighs> relation. Damn. Giuseppe Campari. He was an Italian opera singer and Grand Prix racing driver. Oof. Okay. More more the latter than the former. Okay. More, more a racing car driver. So he... I found this guy... Like I said... Just, you know, hyperlinks. He was an opera singing race car driver. Yeah, he was more of just a race car driver that had like a good baritone voice than anything else. Like he managed Those to- Those are tr- rare, by the way. Very rare. Yeah. yeah. Mario Andretti, suck on that. Um, friend of the pod also. Also, uh, big friend. Yeah, yeah. Huge friend Mario of the pod. Andretti and, and Sammy Hagar are somewhere <laughs> drinking Cabo Wabo I listening hope. to this. So Gi- Giuseppe was, uh, he had began working for Alfa Romeo as a oh. teenager and this was in the uh, again around turn of the century you know early to mid 1900s uh and while he was working there he had test drove like the factory cars and that's where he got into like hill climbing and like some of those you know sort of like competitions in portions of northern italy however when oh, he really oh oh yeah that's a, it's a bit like um that's almost a like a big how, thing like, in italy in in quite a few places in like europe oh yeah yeah yeah, yeah. like well, when you think about like the Swiss Alps and the Italian Alps and all that. I like, guess, yeah. Yeah. However, when he started, it was just at the start of like World War One, so everything kind of like went on hold. After the war, however, he did go and start racing again. Uh, again. And in 1920, he won his first major race, uh, as well as the first major win for Alfa Romeo, winning the what's called the uh, the Mugello Circuit in uh, in uh, Toscana in uh, Tuscany. 
The next year, he then won the top spot at the French Grand Prix in 1925. Okay. In 1929, he went to go uh, to Dublin and he went to go like compete in the first Irish International Grand Prix. This is one of those things that like we here in the States, I don't think know a lot about Grand Prix racing or like formula racing in general. You know, we've got NASCAR. Um, That's what we got. Go go around. Uh, So this has this has a couple extra turns. It's a big deal. So when he was there for the Irish International Grand Prix, uh, he was hit in the eye with like a small rock had like popped up and like got him right in the right in the old uh, occhio. And luckily, he was able to like finish the race. He wound up finishing fourth oh somehow still. Wow. Um, and they were able to like Good take care him. of his like eye and whatnot. In 1931, he and his uh, teammate, a uh, guy by the name of Tazio Nuovolari, they had won the first combined Italian Grand Prix. Uh, which had made them like national heroes because French drivers had won for the past three years. Uh-oh. So like everybody knew who they were. He then went won the Grand Prix, the French Grand Prix, a second time in 1933, making him one of only 21 drivers to win multiple times. It was the first win for Maserati because at this point he was driving for Maserati. And he was the last Italian to have multiple wins as well in the French Grand Prix. Wow. That same year, so 1933, while he was competing at the Monza Grand Prix, which is in Italy, he had driven the the circuit a number of times. He was, he was, he was killed, unfortunately, instantly. Uh, When his car had crashed, he skid in a sharp turn on a patch of like leaked engine oil and had died. Um, You want to take a guess as to, to how old Giuseppe may have been? Thirty-seven. Ooh, I thought you were gonna get it. You're close. Forty-one, mm. and he was set to retire at the end of the season. Wow. Yep. Uh, just realized that was a downer to end on. I forgot that we didn't go uh, back and forth in the right way. I'm gonna. I'm gonna end with my last sip. This has been this a delicious, cocktail. delicious. And thank you to uh, to to uh, Mama and Papa Fox. They bought me these glasses for my birthday. I like these. Right. These are nice. They're very nice. Got a set of four. I'm really interested. There's a uh, so there's a recipes on the back of here. The Zodiac. Oh, the white rum triple sec banana liqueur, lemon juice, orange juice, and pineapple juice with a dash of grenadine. Mix in blender with shaved oh, ice. I don't mind that. I kind of like the Bon Voyage as well. What is Galliano? Galliano is another, I believe, like um, liqueur, almost like a. I believe it's like a frangelico. No, I have no idea. What is Galliano? Or is it like a St. Germain? It's a uh, sweet herbal liqueur. Yeah, almost like, like, a, like, like a chartreuse. Old, yeah. Almost. Hmm. What's, uh, is that owned by the Campari Group as well? No, it's not, but it's made in Tuscany. Oh, all right. Hmm. Yeah. Then we just got to go find apricot brandy somewhere. I'm into it. I, I am too. If anybody comes across someone's great-grandmother's liquor cabinet <laughs> where they've got apricot brandy on hand let us know it's probably right next to the uh, root beer schnapps Ooh, oh, oh god almighty and on that note we've done 50 so far 50 episodes it's a big 5-0 you know how many emails we got mwah, mwah, mwah. sad brain why
They must not love us. On our 50th? On our 50th birthday. Is it our 50th birthday? Or 50th anniversary? I mean, sure, we'll go with that. Yeah, it's our 50th episode. I would say anniversary. Anniversary or birthday? I would go anniversary. Yeah, I don't want to call it birthday. Because birthday would be like... How dare you on our 50th anniversary? sons of bitches. Scallywags. Oh, you went for a nice term. I just... I I was insulting them and their mother. Well, I was going to wish scurvy upon them. Oh, scurvy upon you. Scurvy upon you. Well, and with that, we do hope that you join us for the next episode. Yeah, and please don't get scurvy. Yeah, come back for 51. Come back for all episodes. You don't even know what's coming next. You have no idea. Our best 50 yet. Our best... The best is yet to come. So, babe, let's fly. Is that the song? I think so. I thought it was... And <laughs> I, I, That's the way that I've always done it. Okay, before we get a party fail, goodbye. Goodbye. Beers End is hosted by Alex Chula and me, Nick Messina. Video producer is Mike Delavan. Original music is by Alex Chula. Sound effects have been provided by Zapsplat. And audio editing and producing is from me, Nick Messina. Make sure to rate, review, and subscribe to Beers and wherever you listen to podcasts. Follow us on Instagram at Beers and Podcast and on Twitter at Beers and One. That's on Twitter at Beers and the number one. Or shoot us an email at beersandpodcast at gmail.com. And of course, Alex and I always want you to enjoy your beer safely and responsibly. Neither Alex nor myself have any affiliations with any of the breweries we sampled in this episode, be them legal affiliations or otherwise. If you have any questions or concerns, please email us at beersandpodcast at gmail.com. That's beers, the word and, podcast at gmail.com. Is it not that the way it goes? The best is and babe, won't it be fine? And babe, won't it be fine? Maybe. Is that what you said? No, I said in babe, let's fly. Babe, let's fly. Mm. Okay. <laughs> you didn't tune cocktail in. episodes. Didn't, didn't tune in for the musical parody.